Hello, friends. Welcome to the Industrial Marketing Show, the number one podcast for marketers in the manufacturing space. And I am one of your hosts, Matthew Shinella. And I'm MJ Peters. And uh, MJ, I'm going to let you introduce our special guest because you've been on his podcast. Anyone who's on LinkedIn knows him from LinkedIn, among other things. Uh, but I'm going to let you go ahead and do the intro for the our, our one and only guest today. Yeah, we've got Nick Bennett. He's uh, head of field marketing and ABM for Alice. Uh, and he's the person that owns the term field marketing in my brain. So Nick, me welcome too. to the show. <laughs> Appreciate you having me. Yeah, so I wanted to bring you on. I was you know, messaging you on uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, really, it was last weekend, and we were talking. I was really talking a lot about we're talking a lot about advertising and stuff like that. But I was also talking about field marketing because we. I know that that's your specialty at um, at Alice, and you've been doing it for a long time. And really, I think a lot of marketers in the industrial space, what they do is a form of field marketing, even though it's not necessarily a formal term. And so. I wanted to bring you on to kind of talk about your approach to field marketing. And when we were doing the pre-show talk, you were talking about how you did this in the construction space for a long time, which is obviously, I think, very relevant um, to uh, to our listenership. So um, I think I want to just let's go really broad and just kind of real out there. And I want you to first just define field marketing as a kind of as a function within a larger marketing department and what it does on on a day to day basis and sort of what it's what its role is within in the company. Yeah, it's, it's a good question. So I feel like, you know, there was field marketing 1.0, which was very event heavy, like, you know, go standing at a trade show, basically getting all of these terrible leads that your sales team is not going to do anything with. And there's nothing wrong with people that like events and focus on events. But like, if that's your only part of your entire strategy, it's I don't think that's what field marketing is anymore. Like I've started to use the term field marketing 2.0 when you're looked at as kind of a full stack marketer. So you understand events, you understand digital brand content product, like all of those things coming together and you're more focused on acceleration. So middle of the funnel, bottom of the funnel, um, what can you do to work with your sales team to drive additional pipeline? Is events a part of it? Absolutely. And so when I worked for PlanGrid, which was in the construction space, you know, we were doing 160 plus events a year. And I remember one of the big events that we did, it was like the Olympics of like construction events. And um, it was in Vegas. I'm drawing a blank on the name right now, but it happens once every four years. Or Con Expo. Con Expo. Yeah, yeah, Con Expo. Yeah, yeah. and it, that is literally like, like these people love to party and um, like it was just it was like a week let me just tell you that but like not only were you doing these trade shows we did a ton of trade shows but we really focused on like the associations and doing regional associations because everything was very regionally based for us and events was very heavy like I would say and, and I think it's still true today in a lot of industries, but events is in, I don't say events, like I use it broadly, but more hosted events, trade shows are okay. I'm not a huge fan of them, but like, I would say that makes up like 50 to 60% of a field marketers mix, but then you have the digital aspect. How can you amplify your position at like a trade show? Is there speaking engagements? Can you run a podcast at the specific event? Can you have special guests on? Can you run one-to-one -one meetings? And so I think it's evolved heavily. Um, and some people are still left in like that old 1.0, more of like the, I would say more of like the bigger enterprise companies, like the startups and the high growth companies have really switched and started to transition it um, to be really revenue focused versus just lead focused. 
So, so put this 160 trade shows a year in perspective for people. How many people were on the field marketing team at Plan Grid, and and how big were the other teams? Like, I assume there was also a significant like demand gen motion going on as well. Yeah. So we actually, when I was there, um, they were a Series B company, and so I stayed from Series B. I believe we got to Series D, uh, and then we were bought by Autodesk. But there was four people on the field marketing team. There was three people on the demand gen team, one marketing ops person. And then uh, I believe like four or five product marketers because it was very like content heavy uh, work. And that was, that was really our entire team. So like you think of like 160 events, I was traveling probably two to three weeks a month. Um, it was absolutely insane. And so each person had a very specific territory. Like I was in charge of the whole East coast and Canada, Eastern Canada. And then we had someone in the central, someone in the West, someone in Western Canada, and then someone in EMEA as well. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, this was a few years ago, right? And so it sounds like you had basically like 50, the mix was like 50% field marketing and 50% demand gen, maybe 60, 40 in favor of field marketing. Do you feel like, like, let's, you know, say COVID's not a factor, right? Cause that's gonna, that's gonna make there be less events, obviously. But like, do you think the mix would be the same today? Or do you think it would skew more heavy digital? I think it skews more heavy digital for sure. Um, I think people were trying to come back with events towards like the middle of last year to like the end of last year and then like COVID ramped up again. And so it kind of put a wrench in a lot of plans. Like we're, we're supposed to go to B2B MX in Arizona uh, the end of February and they're still not 100% sure if they're going to do it in person or move it to virtual. But like I would say... A, probably 70% of what I do right now is definitely like digital focused. Um, and that's a mixture of like paid search. Um, we, you know, we have a big social kind of play there as well. And then we run a lot of additional kind of like, we call it like surround sound amplification to our target accounts. And that's worked incredibly well. And then we still mix in events. We, Outside of, um, we did, went to Sixth Sense Conference in Austin, but outside of that, we didn't do any other in-person events last year, minus Saster in San Francisco. Um, those were the only two in-person events that we did in all of 2021. Yeah. So the reason I'm, I'm asking all these questions is because I've got the, the industrial use case in mind. And so we've talked a little bit about like, what does that look like? What does field marketing look like in the context of a 10 person marketing team, or in your case now at Alice, probably a four or five person marketing team. Um, and it's, you even have to have a wide range of digital capabilities when you have a team of people that are also working on demand gen completely separate from the field marketing motion. Um, what do you think it looks like when you're scaling it all the way back to like a one or a two person team? And the reason I asked the question is because um, I think for a really long time, industrial companies have just hired a marketing manager. And the main pain point that they solve for when they hire a marketing manager is the VP of sales doesn't want to run all these events and be the organizer anymore. But then all of a sudden, this marketing manager has to figure out all of marketing, not just field marketing. Like, should, should companies be hiring a field marketer or should they be hiring a generalist and hoping that they're going to do field marketing well, knowing that field marketing is probably most of these companies go to market motion? Yeah, it's it's a good question. Like I think that you could I think that you could get away with like a generalist kind of piece of it. Like as long as you understand the basics of events, which is pretty it's 
I mean, everyone's done events at some point, hopefully in their life or have been a part of events. So it's, 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 it's not a ton of work and I don't want to diminish like what these people do because it is like incredibly hard logistically, but like at its like base, it's, it's not terribly hard. And so I think that hiring someone that understands more of like everything, which I guess you could kind of look at from like a full stack marketer standpoint, like hiring one person in like, yeah, events is maybe 40% of it. The digital is another piece. Maybe you have to have someone that writes like the, the product or content piece of it. They're working on that as well. Um, I think those are probably like the three biggest areas that I would focus on. Yeah, I would I would tend to agree with that, especially on I mean, for a lot of industrial companies, the, the content marketing is is sometimes non-existent. And so having someone who has some writing skill that can also support the field marketing is important. I remember when I got hired at my first industrial company, like I had to do the major trade show and I had never done a major trade show in my life. I'd done a lot of small events, but it was like, hey, we got this twenty four hundred foot square booth and we're gonna ship you know, 20,000 pounds of equipment there and you got to set it up. And I'm like, I don't know how to do any of that. Um, and sometimes you just got to go figure that out. It's, it's really good if you walk into a scenario where there's good infrastructure in place, like you have sort of all the historical data, like here's what all the forms look like to like work with the event contractor. Like if you're doing it from scratch, which I had, a, I had someone that I know on my network who asked me about that earlier this week. It's like, you got your work cut out for you because there's just a lot of there's a lot of admin stuff to handle in terms of like just getting a, especially a major trade show off the ground. But yeah, like I, I, hire the event contractor. Guys. Yeah, hire the event. Like, get the exhibit house. They help you a lot. And at, at least for the first year, they'll help you navigate all that stuff you don't know. And then you can gradually take more work on uh, and, and sort of pull it back. So it's not as expensive year over year for yourself. But you, you getting that exhibit house who knows how to navigate that stuff and can walk you through it will will give you sort of that safety net that'll allow you to execute on that if you're if you're a first timer having to do like a major event. Um, I wanted to lean in a little on the digital aspect a little more because you you said something as I as I show my kids ball here in the video screen. Um, you you said something that I, I thought was interesting and you mentioned pipeline marketing um, as part of your role. And uh, a lot of I think a lot of people in our audience pipeline marketing might be a bit of a foreign concept. And so I'm wondering if you can walk a little bit through pipeline marketing and how you approach that as the as field marketing at Alice. Yeah, absolutely. So so for me, you know, pipeline is a big piece, of course, with revenue. But it's like, what can we do to actually one create the pipeline, but accelerate it as well? You can do all of these events and capture all these leads and have you know your sales team calling on them, but what are you doing to actually like move people through the pipeline? And so that's why I think digital plays a big piece of it. And even email nurtures, honestly, um, I just, I just, we just launched like seven new email nurtures. Um, and in the last like two weeks, we've already had like 14 people come inbound from these like new, new nurtures. And like, it's just like refreshing things. And like, we're able to kind of move people through with like, depending where they are in their buyer's journey, people at an earlier stage, they're not going to care about the same thing that are people in their later stage. And so I think it's understanding what your pipeline looks like and what's the outcome that you want to achieve. Like, are you trying to say, all right, I want to take people that are non-qualified. So for example, for us, like stage one is non-qualified pipelines, like a qual call. And so we want to take people from a fail marketing perspective from there 
to the demo stage, we want to improve those rates. So if I can improve those rates by at least 6%, it improves the conversion down the funnel. And then if I can take that and kind of go from qualified pipeline to close one and improve those, we start to see these conversion rates increase and we don't have to open up as much pipeline because we're converting more of them. And I think that's where a lot of people kind of, I don't think they, I don't want to say they don't focus there, but I think it goes unnoticed because some people in different companies have different mindsets of like what a field marketer does. But if you're increasing your conversion rates together with sales, you're only going to increase your revenue at the end of the day. No, I totally agree with that because I think a lot of marketers, uh, especially people who are in that manager spot, um, you know, once they, once they get the lead, it's kind of like, and then they, they throw them into whatever nurture that they've created for themselves. It's kind of like, okay, it's on sales at that point. You know, sales, sales takes them from conversion all the way through the rest of the funnel. But if you can take ownership of pipeline, especially early pipeline, when sales really doesn't want to deal with them in the first place, you know, you can exponentially, as you said, increase, you know, what happens down funnel. Um, I, I wanted to ask real quick to follow up with, you mentioned you have seven different sort of nurtures you you uh, you created, and you talked about some of the stages you have in your own pipeline. Give me a sense a little bit so people can visualize this, how you go about segmenting people within your pipeline so so they can get an idea of maybe how to extrapolate that for their own. Yeah, it's, you know, so we, the way that we've kind of set our nurtures up are based on like the personas that we go after. And so for us, we sell to marketers, people that are like me. And it's a little bit easier when you're selling and marketing to someone that's exactly like you. I know the pain points that these people face every single day. So it's easier. And that's why I think in like the industrial space, like you, you see this every single day and, you know, you're kind of going after that. So it makes it somewhat of a little bit of an easier path or journey that you want to tell that story. And so it's been very successful. But for us, you know, we have those seven streams and the goal really is to focus on, we don't, we don't actually score leads or use leads at all. So we only kind of qualify accounts. And so for us, when we take something from a stage one to a stage three, it becomes kind of like a a marketing qualified account at that point. And Mm -hmm. so it's taking that and then kind of pushing it down. But there was such like a, I think I was reading a stat the other day internally that like we, there was like a crazy number of MQAs that we had that were never touched from like an email perspective, sales didn't reach out to from like October through the end of the year because it wasn't our focus. We, we changed our focus internally as well. And I think that's why we've seen uh, conversion rates improve because it goes back to like knowing your pipeline, knowing your stages, knowing what like one, not siloing yourself but with sales, but like working together to say, all right, what can we do to move this from point A to point B together? Not just like, hey, I'm just going to run all these programs, digital, like display ads. I hate display ads, but people run them and no one clicks them. But like you should be running like paid ads and paid search on like social and like those make a huge impact. I want to ask you about a, a very specific thing that, that has piqued my interest lately, but that I have never personally run, which is like small events, like Ooh, with 10 yeah, people in your pipeline. I think postal.io is the main platform that facilitates this. I'm sure there are others, but like, are you using that? What's your take on it? What should people think about if they want to like test that for their company? 
Yeah, so so we actually do do that. So funny enough, so Postal is actually one of our largest competitors. Um, and so we're developing a, like we, we do these things called, well, like we do these round tables. And so basically it's somewhat similar to a lunch and learn, but we grab 10 of our accounts that are in the similar space. 95% of the deals that we win are in tech. Um, 5% are, I'd say actually 3% are in insurance. And then actually manufacturing is starting to pop up um, a little it bit should. more. Yeah, absolutely. And so I'm sure those numbers will skew differently in 2022, but like we do these round tables and then we do these, we call them like hosted events. So we focus on, we call them five to nine. So basically everyone knows what you do when you're nine to five, but what are you focused on in that five to nine to get to know someone as a human versus just someone that's like a marketing person or like ABM person or whatever their role is. And so we, you know, we don't sell. It's it's literally just a place where people, the network get together. Like we've done sushi and sake, floral arranging, like Zumba classes, um, like paint nights, like all these different virtual events. And you can do them in person as well from a regional aspect. But those have been huge to get people to like just network and like spend time and know that we're not constantly trying to sell them. All right. So since I have already uh, dropped Postal's name, uh, which which you handle very gracefully, what what are the key differences between Postal and Alice that people should know about if they want to try this? And like, do you offer some kind of thing for like a company that has never done this before to like try it out for one or two campaigns and see if it works for them? Yeah, so we're we're going to be developing some additional things right now. I, I've been using a company and, and anyone can go use this. It's called Host Events. Um, it's a free website and basically it's all virtual events, but you can basically just go on and book whatever you want. So if you want to book a, a virtual escape room or something like that, they're pretty cheap, like for 20 people, 30 people, it's like $2,000 or something like that. Um, and I think that's kind of one of the big things we still focus, like our big thing is like still the gifting and like direct mail piece of it and like focusing on the personalization versus, you know, just just another gift card or something or like just another event in like kind of like some generic like uh like Chosky's things like that like we were like if i knew for example i'm a big baseball fan big red sox fan so if you knew that i love the red sox in fenway park and you sent me a fenway park thing through our platform like with a personalized video more than likely i would take a meeting with you or if you sent me a direct mail package in, in kind of the mail with something fun um and that went along with the event that we were doing those are kind of like some of the key differentiators nice yeah so i'll uh let me i'll plug alice for nick here real quick because actually that was one of the reasons why i was talking to him last weekend anyway i was because i was thinking like i remember when i was i was the marketing guy in my industrial company and like i got so many swag requests and i was like Man, it'd be so awesome if I could just send them somewhere to just get swag one on like a kind of personalized for their client. I was like, why aren't you guys in manufacturing more? Because it's such a great fit because swag budgets are pretty big uh, in industrial. It's one of the larger budget buckets you have. And uh, and so if you're looking for better swag for yourself or just a way to protect yourself from having to maybe buy things in like five, six, seven thousand, eight, nine or nine thousand dollar blocks, like Alice is a pretty sweet option to try. I'll just plug it without uh, uh, asking Nick to. I want to swag requests are super annoying. So they are take it off your plate. Like from like grabbing it from the back, giving it to your warehouse, printing out the pack slip. Like it is a huge time check. It's extremely disruptive to your day-to-day workflow. I've, 
I will, I will attest to that. Um, okay, let's. Um, I want to transition to ABM because on top of field marketing, Nick also is extremely well versed in account based marketing, which is um, something that almost every industrial company wants to do, and not many do it very well. And so, uh, Nick, I want to. I wanted to. I, I would be be criminal for me to not ask you about account based marketing in twenty twenty two. So, I want to ask you a little bit about what's changed in, in account based marketing. Uh, or what do you think is going to change this year versus maybe previous years? And uh, how do you all, how are you approaching account-based marketing uh, for this year? Yeah, absolutely. Great, great question. So we're actually dropping the term ABM. Um, I think it's spicy. Yeah. So I think it's like, it's, it's, it's a buzzword. Like, like, we're calling it targeted marketing because that's all it really is. And so we're basically creating a 2022 targeted marketing strategy. And so it's the same thing as ABM, but it's just a little bit more broad um, in different layers of it. And so there's three kind of reasons why we're investing in targeted marketing. One, to win more deals. So kind of like invest in more relevant experiences to convert our ICP like reduce churn, invest more in like our best fit customers. So we use intent to kind of help with that piece of it. But we don't want customers that are going to churn in a year um, and then increase kind of our operational efficiency. So like we want to use a targeted marketing strategy to improve our CAC. And so like that's why like we're using targeted marketing more from a top of funnel standpoint, and then the field marketing piece for middle and bottom. And so together it plays kind of like a full full funnel strategy across the board. And so each, we have three sales segments. And so each sales segment has um, tier one accounts, tier two accounts, tier three accounts. And so we have different experiences for each of them, depending on like what we want to really focus on. But we use for us, at least in the first half of the year, our big focus is going to be getting the number of marketing qualified accounts up because it means you know we're trying to front load our pipeline and really then execute from my standpoint on the acceleration of it. So right now, we really want to kind of just do a better job of marketing to the specific targeted accounts that both us the sales team, sales leadership, and our RevOps team have come together and said, hey, these are the ones that we're going to go after. Um, and we're hopefully, from early kind of predictions and the way that we've, we've run things, we should actually have a pretty fantastic first half of the year based on like this new method. When I was hired at Alice back uh, last year, it was basically to create an ABM strategy from scratch. And I did. I created an ABM strategy. We had 45 target like tier one accounts. I opened 26 of those in a quarter and a half. It's over 50%, closer to like 57%. The issue is we didn't have any acceleration in place. So it was much more, hey, let's just get the meeting. Then what? The sales team didn't, I didn't do a great job enabling the sales team, uh, which is another huge undervalued piece of like what marketing should be like helpful with, but they treated these opportunities just like any other opportunity that came in. So we ended up losing a bunch of them and we're now kind of running some additional, like we call them like wake the dead campaigns because renewals are coming up um, because we know we can get those accounts back because they're the perfect like ICP for us. 
Yeah, okay, so I, for the longest time, was curious why Alice had decided to combine field marketing with ABM under one leader. But that, yeah, you explained that gap so well of like, yeah, ABM is great to like acquire these accounts into the sales process, but field marketing can play such a role in continuing to make sure that those close and, you know, inevitably your best target accounts are on your ABM list. Exactly. And like we kind of, for us, it's pretty simple. Like we have a three-step approach, like understand the insights that you're getting kind of from like the MQAs that you do have. Then it's tailoring the, the, the plays to these insights and then it's actioning them. And so those are like our three-step approach to how we're kind of looking at it from 2022. So um, I remember when I was in, in industrial marketing, when I first heard the term account-based marketing, I was like, oh, this sounds really smart. Uh, industrial companies, like if an industrial company has like a strategic marketing function, which is usually what industrial companies call product marketing, or even a product management function, like yep. the product marketer, the strategic marketer, the product manager, like knows who their target accounts are. Um, but I think industrial companies traditionally do a pretty bad job of activating those people because you're basically hoping they show up at a trade show and come to your booth. Um, so I, I was like, ABM, it resonated with me instantly. Like this is a great fit for industrial go-to-market. However, I think we're talking to a lot of beginners. Um, I think a lot of industrial companies don't have a sophisticated ABM motion. Um, I know you just put together a course on this, but would love your high level thoughts on like, what do beginners need to know about ABM? And then, yeah, you can tell people about the course because uh, I think that might be interesting to a lot of people listening here. Yeah, so I appreciate it. So I think, you know, when you're developing an ABM strategy, I would say 50% of it goes into that that list. And, and it shouldn't be a, a siloed list either. It should be marketing sales. If you have like sales ops or rev ops or marketing ops or whatever, someone to kind of all collectively non-biasedly look at it as well. And so you develop this list, say it's I would say a good a good starting point if you've never done it before is saying, all right, for our tier one accounts, these are our 50 like must win accounts that we're going to go into the year. I think part of the issue is people shoot too high where they're going to come in and they're going to say, these are the 1000 accounts that we want to go after, which is great. You know, it's awesome, but it's like, okay, so, you know, just take, you're going to, you're usually spending more money from a marketing standpoint to, you know, acquire these customers because you're doing different types of channels and tactics. And so if you're going to go after a thousand right off the bat, especially with one marketer, that's going to be very, very hard. So you want to do something that's manageable, at least at first, get some quick and easy wins, show the leadership team that ABM actually does work, show the sales team from a marketing standpoint that you're adding value and that you are a value add, and then you can expand beyond that. And so that was always the thing for me. Tier ones are your must wins. Tier twos are like, you know, we want to win them, but we're not going to invest as much money. And then tier threes is like, the goal is just to run kind of like evergreen stuff in the background. And hopefully they come inbound through the, you know, the air cover that you're providing. Um, so I think those are kind of like, that's like one of the foundational aspects. Then it's like, you have to determine what are the KPIs and metrics that matter to you. Is it, you know, increased engagement within your target accounts? That's a fantastic way to look at it. Are you moving someone from, you know, top of funnel to middle of funnel, bottom of the funnel? Like, and you can use different types of like software or you can do it manually. You don't need software to do this, but just see like how your engagement within these target accounts are going. Are you, you know, 
influencing or sourcing pipeline from these, these target accounts. For me, failed marketing, I don't usually source my pipeline because it's already an open opportunity. However, mm -hmm. I look at influence pipeline and then I look at expansion uh, and retention as well. So I think it's figuring out what KPIs and metrics matter to your business and then just really focusing on how can you do you know, a quick and easy, these are the three channels that we're going to launch with. And you can't you can't launch an ABM program or strategy and give it a quarter and say, oh, it didn't work. Oh, well, like, especially in like, you get into these bigger companies, it's going to take a couple of quarters. And that's another thing, you know, figuring out what, you know, what your close time or like close one time is, how can you increase that? How can you increase the average deal size um, using your ABM motions, because it's much more focused on the quality versus the quantity. And I think that's another thing. Don't just kind of go out there and spray and pray. Um, but I think those are kind of some of the the foundational aspects. And like, you know, kind of like you guys mentioned, I've released a brand new playbook that isn't my specific playbook, but it's more of the foundational aspects of like, hey, if you want to get started with an ABM strategy, if you've never done it before, here is it's it's 10 different sections here's how you do it from you know start to finish and it, at least it will get you off the ground and then it's it's just really iterating on that over time totally um so there's one specific thing that like jumped out at me when you were uh when you were going through that and that is we are going to spend more money to acquire these accounts because they are our dream accounts and I think that's a really important thing for people to take away because you have to manage up effectively to leadership to get the resources you need to actually run an ABM play. And it's, you know, it's not really ABM if you're not actually throwing more resources at the tier one accounts. Yeah. Um, so, so if you're in a situation where it's like, yeah, we're going to do ABM, but we're going to give you no budget to run some of these more like personalized one-to-one, one-to-few marketing campaigns, it's going to fall flat. So um, any advice on, on managing up in that situation or, or how you position that ask? Yeah, it's so I think you have to figure out like you have to somehow convey that like you need to be giving the white glove treatment, like VIP treatment to these accounts. And that's why I think it makes sense to start small. Maybe it's not even like 50 accounts. Maybe you're saying I want to show success with these 10 accounts. If I show success with these 10 accounts, will you invest more from a resource standpoint? And more, unless your leadership team doesn't understand marketing or get marketing, um, you usually don't have that big of an issue because you're showing success. It's not just kind of going in and saying, I want X, Y, Z. I went in and I said, I'm going to deliver X. I want all these other pieces once I deliver on that. And it was still only me. Like I was a one person like ABM marketing team. However, we still had like other marketers, but I was the one that was executing on everything. And it's tough from a resource standpoint, especially when you have a small team. I mean, at the point we only had four marketers uh, all together and one was like our head of marketing. So they didn't really do anything. Um, so, you know, it was like three other marketers and they were focused on completely different things. So it, it becomes a time suck. And then it's like, you've got other projects that you're working on as well. And so it becomes very, very difficult, which is why I think that like, you need to really 
devote resources to like an ABM. Like you can't just group it with something else and say, oh, you know, just do ABM on the side, like do some events, do some ABM. Everyone says they're doing ABM, but like, it's funny because like I've been on this week, I've been on 10 sales calls and those 10 sales calls, they were all with marketers who were saying, we're going to launch an ABM strategy this year. All 10 of them had a complete different definition of what ABM was. And so I think that's part of the issue. There's no clear definition of what it is, which is why we went back to targeted marketing. Very simple. We're going to market to our targeted accounts. And I think that's um, that's the focus that you need to have and then have that like VIP white glove treatment for those top ones deliver and then build a business case on why you need more. Uh, that was a lot of great points right there. Um, I, I want to ask a question that MJ usually asks, but I'm going to just usurp her on this and talk about... Um, ABM traps. So you you detailed some of those, but there's obvious traps to avoid when you're doing account-based marketing, especially if you're getting a program up, let's say for the first time. So what are some traps to avoid as someone who maybe is going to start their ABM program this year? And maybe they have a 10, de- 10 different definitions of it, like the people that you talk to on those sales calls. <laughs> I think I think it's partly like like you don't need tech to be successful in ABM. That's That's like the first thing. Everyone thinks you need to invest like hundred plus thousand dollars into like an ABM stack to be successful with ABM. But it doesn't matter where your tech stack looks like if your strategy is crap, like it's it's still the, the end result's gonna be terrible. So I think it's figuring out like what is the strategy? What are the key outcomes that you're looking to achieve from these programs? If you don't have a clear definition of what your outcomes or like key strategies are, then why are you even doing it? I think the second piece is this needs to be a company-wide initiative. Because if not, it's going to become a silo type thing. Like this needs to start from the top down and it needs to be like everyone rallying around you of like, we're going all in on account-based marketing. We have, you know, CS that's going to be a part of it. We have like marketing sales, rev ops, our CRO, our CEOs, you know, we're strategically aligning people within the business. But if, if you're, if you're not having that piece, again, it's going to fall flat. And then I think another piece is like not having a full funnel focus kind of there. If you're only focusing on the top and opening opportunities, that's great. But I guarantee you, your conversion rate is going to be a lot less if you don't have the tactics in place that will push people through the funnel. Um, And so I think those are kind of some of the big ones, but really just, just know that you don't you don't need a ton to get started. You just have to have the right mentality and the right strategy and just start small, get some easy wins, and then you can kind of scale it up from there. No one should go into an ABM strategy saying, we're going to win a thousand accounts this year and we're not going to devote more resources to it because it's the wrong mentality going in from the beginning. Right. I think the point about pipeline marketing, which is what you were saying, like once you get them in is is so key because I think so many marketers miss that step where it's like, I got them into opportunity. I don't have to do anything anymore. It's like, no, there should be other aspects of the program. That's when the, the field marketing in your instance comes into play where you're doing smaller tailored events or you're putting or you're starting email nurtures or there's something else that goes on the on the back end of that after you get them in. And I think that's just a critical component that should not be overlooked uh, for anyone here starting their ABM journey in 2022. Um, okay, so I'm going to give you space here to plug your course and also plug Alice. Go ahead, because Alice is a great fit, I think, for a lot of companies in our audience here. So so go, go ahead and do it. Oh, wait, we'll, you um, something? Yeah, oh. we'll put the link to Nick's course in the show notes. Well, for I'm, 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 unquestionably, but, but go go for it. Nick. I'll give you, give, you, give you a minute here. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Alice, what we are, we're gifting and direct mail platforms. So swag, like another key piece of our product, if you're going to all of these trade shows that are out there, you never have to bring swag to an event again. We actually have these custom little cards, and we did this at the Sixth Sense conference where you bring a sample of products, just a couple, but you give people these cards. So one, they get to redeem the, the whatever uh, like budget that you set for the, the show. They can redeem a sample or a product, ship it directly to their house. They don't have to bring it back on the airplane with them. Um, they get to experience the platform, which expands the use cases there. So. That's kind of if you know if you're focusing on events and trade shows, I think that's a huge piece of the product. And then just like the personalization of the product, understanding people, we have a research and AI component. So being able to say like we we basically scrape social profiles, so any public profile. So like if you were big into sports or family or whatever, we could see all that information from public profiles, which would allow a marketer or a sales rep to go in and really get a targeted message to that prospect. And I think that's kind of one of our, honestly, one of our biggest differentiators. I've bought tons of direct mail platforms in the last five or six years, um, but I bought Alice now twice uh, and then I came to work here. So, all right. All right. How about your course? Go ahead and go ahead and plug your course real quick and we'll put a link to it as well in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. So it's just, you know, if you want to get started or you don't know what ABM is or how do I even get started, like it's a quick course. It takes about like 30 to 40 minutes to get through 10 sections. There's some video uh, if you want to learn that way, a little whiteboard style. But it's just a way to start to create your first pipeline strategy that will drive 5x more pipeline. So definitely check it out. It's uh, It's been a really great resource for the people that have checked it out so far. If you uh, if you buy Nick's course, be sure to uh, be sure to. How did you hear about us? The industrial marketing show. Yes, industrial marketing show podcast. Please, we would love that. We would love that. Uh, that we love that attribution. He's he's not going to give us a cut of the revenue, but no, uh, no, no. But, but it would be cool to know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, y'all. That was Nick Bennett, director of ABM and field marketing at. Alice, uh, Nick, man, thanks so much for coming on the show. And if you haven't connected with Nick Bennett on LinkedIn, you're missing out. Like, go do that right now. Like, you can just stop the show. I'm going to do the spiel here, but just go stop and connect with Nick on LinkedIn immediately. Uh, Nick, thanks so much for coming on, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Had a blast. Thank you. Thanks, for right. Uh, you can catch the Industrial Marketing Show on all the major podcasting platforms. There's only two of those. That's uh, Apple and Spotify. Please subscribe to the Industrial Marketing Show. Leave us a five-star review. Leave us a written review. Hit MJR up on LinkedIn. If you have a show idea or a guest, uh, or if you want to be a guest, or if you have a guest idea as well. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for joining us again on another week of the Industrial Marketing Show. Uh, I am Matt. And I am MJ. And y'all have a great rest of your day. Appreciate it.